Hey beautiful soul, this is the Menopause Coach Podcast with me, your host, Adele Johnston. I'm helping you create a vibrant life of joy and happiness without your menopause stealing your personal power and sass. Together, we're making menopause mainstream. It's actually ruined my experience with red wine being in perimenopause. The histamine tolerance is awful. (laughs) And I love a red wine. (laughs) Not anymore. I still like the taste. It does not like me. No, it really isn't worth it, is it? Welcome back to another episode of The Menopause Coach. It's amazing having you come and join us each and every Thursday. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Today I am joined by a very special guest. I have got Dr. Karis with me today and Karis is an NHS GP with a specialist interest in women's health and menopause. She's a BMS member and we have been working together in the background, just having lots of good discussions, working through some hot topics in the menopause space. And it's just been an absolute blessing and privilege of mine to have Karis in my space just now. So I want to bring her inside this podcast. And today we are going to be talking all about things in the brain. So we're going into an episode today around why hormones dropping send our brain into an SOS state in perimenopause. So Karis, welcome. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I'm really excited to be here to talk about the brain and I'm so interested in the effect that our sex hormones have upon our brains and why we experience a lot of the things we may feel when we go into menopause and when our hormones start to change. It just has absolutely taken me and I, I've, I've read a lot around the, the topic so it'd be great to talk about. So I'm guessing then that this seems to be a really core topic for you right now that's caught your interest, the brain. Since I started looking at menopause and understanding how cognition and uh, mood and emotions and memory and learning all were so affected um, when our estrogen starts to fall, I started to think, why is that actually happening? What? Why does estrogen do that? It wasn't enough just to think it does, that's what happens to us. I wanted to know exactly why. So I started looking at a lot of documents and a lot of papers and trying to understand where it started. Why does that actually happen? What happens when these hormones reduce and what do the hormones do in our body? So this is an area I must admit that in the brain, I mean, I think if anybody could say that they understood how the brain worked, we would be like, wow, like sit me down and tell me in layman's terms. And it's something that really catches my interest whenever I maybe learn something new is understanding that as we come through our pre-menopause years, when we're kind of teenagers in our 20s, the brain is super firing, right? And then we enter into this perimenopause stage of our life for some of us like me mid-30s and for a lot of ladies kind of into the early 40s what tends to happen at that point because we do obviously come into this stage of life where changes in our body but also in our cognitive function start to take a change so can you maybe help us understand a bit around well what and maybe why that's happening 
Definitely. I think what I was really fascinated with when I was reading was how we need a natural flow of our hormones for things to work properly. So we need one to follow the other. We need a rise in our estrogen. We need our LH surge, which causes our ovulation. Then we need the estrogen and the progesterone to go up in the luteal phase. We need them to drop and we need the whole thing to to happen again. So it has to be very cyclical for things to work properly. And as we go into the menopause, when the estrogen levels drop and we stop getting that ovulation and we stop getting as much progesterone because we haven't ovulated, everything starts to change and we find different things happen in our body, in our cycle, because interestingly, the hormones behave as hormones to affect our menstrual cycle, but they also go up into the brain and they affect the synapses, so the way our nerves talk to each other, they're involved in myelination, so the the speed of nerve impulses, they're involved in activation of cell death, in the brain, so getting rid of things that aren't that we don't need, expression of free radicals, they're involved in interaction with neurotransmitters so they can increase our serotonin, which makes us feel good, they can affect our GABA, our glutamate, which helps us learn, helps us calm down. All of these things can be affected by the hormones. So it's incredible when we start to change our hormones how that takes such an effect on our brain Um, and looking at learning, uh, mood. There's so many things that that actually are involved. It's incredible. Oh, it is incredible. I think even one thing that's kind of coming through there for me is hearing the words free radicals because even our environment, right, has such a vast role to play in how we are and in ourselves. So, for those that are listening to this and thinking, oh my goodness me, like this is a lot to take in. I think really what I'm taking away from this is we've got a lot of different factors that can impact the brain, predominantly from the dropping in that progesterone and estrogen levels. Is that right? That's absolutely right. So if we maybe look at four of our neurotransmitters and just have a little chat about how estrogen and progesterone can affect the release of those. So if we look at, say, um, glutamate first, so a lot of people will experience loss of verbal recall. So the words will go, they can't recall things as they used to, you will try and ask them the name of a film they've seen or an actor, or just recalling something that they want to speak about in a presentation. And the reason that that might happen is because estrogen increases your glutamate, which is involved in memory and learning. And that's one of the neurotransmitters in the brain. So when estrogen levels drop, you're finding that that's actually affected as well. Strangely, when we look at progesterone, that actually reduces glutamate. Both of these hormones have quite a difference um, in, in what they do to us. Let's look at GABA. The GABA is our calming neurotransmitter. So high levels of GABA improve our focus, low levels cause anxiety. So estrogen actually reduces GABA, progesterone increases GABA. So think ways we can actually help ourselves make more GABA by meditating, by doing yoga, eating glutamate-rich foods. The hormones themselves, 
will have an effect on our mood because of the effect they have on the GABA. And strangely, um, GABA is reduced by having too much alcohol. So if you have that hangover experience in the morning, that will reduce your GABA, which can also affect your emotions. This is it, right? We, we tend to think of a lot of this in isolation rather than looking at it as whenever I'm teaching within the menopause support coach certification, I'll explain when we go through the endocrine lessons how our hormones are like the orchestra within our body, starting from the brain right through to the reproductive organs and all the way through the body. And actually, it's referring to it as when all of those are working together nicely, we've got this beautiful symphony and that orchestra plays beautifully. But actually, when something's knocked off and when you've just mentioned about alcohol there, this seems to be something that I will discuss and support maybe one out of every four or five of the ladies that I work with where alcohol becomes the comfort and becomes the support when potentially these hormone drops are happening their orchestra is not playing in tune and in symphony and the ironic thing is the alcohol that they're turning to for that support and comfort is actually further exasperating what the body's already trying to deal with. Many women don't tolerate alcohol very well at all in menopause. Actually, um, it, it makes things a lot worse for them. And often you're right, people do start to turn to it more to try and feel better. They want to try and help calm down. They get more stressed. They want to sleep better. Whereas actually, it really, really does make those things worse. I've noticed myself actually just in a personal way I can't um I can't manage uh, even even a glass or two of wine I feel really not right um in comparison to how I felt when I was younger it is it's incredible it's actually ruined my experience with red wine being in perimenopause <laughs> the histamine tolerance is awful <laughs> and I love a red yeah. wine <laughs> Not anymore. I still like the taste. It does not like me. No, it, it really isn't worth it, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. For for me, it's kind of one of these these awful side effects. Um, really bad headaches, very, very itchy skin all over if I have more than two glasses of a, a red wine. So it's just not worth it. Yeah. So we've got glutamate, that memory and that learning, the ability to have that sharpness, that functionality of the brain and that verbal recall that you talked about. We've then got the GABA part um, within the, the kind of neurotransmitters of the brain. So these synapse connections, these neurons that basically help our, our brain to do its thing. That helps to calm us down. And then we've got serotonin, which um, mm. is a really exciting one. So estrogen increases our serotonin. Progesterone has a different effect on serotonin. And actually, we'll go back to progesterone with GABA as well after we've talked about serotonin. But um, estrogen increases serotonin, which is our well-being hormone, happiness hormone, our sleep cycle hormone, and it affects our digestive system. So 95% of the receptors are in the gut and then 5% in the brain. So when estrogen drops, we find lots of problems with our tummy because we'll slow down our digestion. We may become more windy, a bit constipated with diarrhea, um, some IBS symptoms, and it also will affect our feeling of well-being, our happiness, 
our sleep, as we know, lots of women suffer from insomnia when their serotonin goes down. So it has a huge effect on serotonin. It's interesting. Progesterone has two effects on serotonin. It can either increase it or decrease it. It has a dual effect, which is interesting. And it also has a dual effect on GABA, which is quite interesting. In some women, it makes them feel much worse. So it is metabolized to allopregnanolone, which is its metabolite. And in some women, those with PMS and PMDD, it goes up into the GABA receptors and causes all sorts of mood problems for them. That's caused by high allopregnanolone. Other women, um, if we're looking at postnatal depression, low level of allopregnanolone can also cause mood problems. So it's not a one size fits all. We can use hormones to talk about things, but there's not a rule that says, if you have this, this is going to cause this in your body because we're so individual. And some women really don't notice um, the effect of progesterone, whereas 20% of women are so intolerant to it. It can really, in their luteal phase, cause them to have PMS and PMDD, can also be involved in postnatal depression. Um, so it's, it's an interesting space to look at but there's not an easy explanation. <laughs> Don't we find as well that within the space of women's health in general, but really when we come into the space of menopause and you know all of these things, it becomes very difficult for us to just say, you know, if it's this and this, we need to go here. Yeah, and it's that very clear, you know, if we think about this as, I'm, I'm a very visual brain, but if we think about this as a one of these um, decision trees or progress diagrams that we would say, if it's yes, it's here, if it's no, it's here. It's not that simple because we are so unique. And even, you know, we were, we were touching base around blood panel works about benchmark ranges that when GPs will say, well, these are normal ranges, that actually for some women, those normal ranges are not normal for them. So it just makes life so much more complicated, doesn't it? When, you know, you from a, a GP perspective um, and me from this foundational element of menopause, care and health on how we then navigate that journey with that certain lady. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is that we're all individual and um, we can't just look at blood tests or at hormone pathways. We've got to look at how we are responding to those certain pathways. And interestingly, there's a really complicated pathway from cholesterol to the development of our hormones. So cortisol, testosterone, estrogen, the three types of estrogen, and what actually affects the enzymes that take us from one part to the next. And Lots of what we do with our diet, how we feel stress can inhibit those enzymes, green tea, uh, certain things we might take herbally. There are so many factors to play with our lives that are external or things we might be taking because we think they're good for us, which actually could be inhibiting pathways between hormones and precursor hormones that affect our hormones as well. Mm, that is really interesting, actually, because again, my kind of mm. evidence-based nutrition hat that's on. And I was just talking with a lady before our podcast around how very much adopting that food first approach, supplementing second, because what we can then tend to do is one, we can waste a lot of money on supplements that our body doesn't actually need. And two, we can absolutely counteract what the body's natural abilities can be 
through lifestyle and balanced nutrition. And alcohol's in there as well. It, it causes an inhibition between the production of estrogen. So it's really very interesting looking at these pathways and what, what we can think we're doing for the best, but actually it's, it's unbalancing things. So if we were to stay on that space, we've talked around those three core neurotransmitters and serotonin was the last one that you talked on and touched on there. Um, And I always find this one vastly, vastly important because again, we know that serotonin is that precursor to melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. You went into an area that I hope you don't mind me diving in here, but with the reference to 95% of that being produced and kind of birthed within the gut space, and the link between then the impacts to digestive health, constipation was mentioned. If ladies are within their perimenopause or menopause stage and noticing that their digestion is changing, that they aren't maybe able to digest food the same as they were, they're maybe not as regular at the bathroom. Again, we understand that estrogen plays a massive role in this as well. But as an NHS GP then, how would you be directing this lady to get some support? Because I know that this is one that I get asked a lot about is constipation seems to be a big one in a lot of ladies in perimenopause. I've just done a post on that actually through my Instagram site. So IBS symptoms can worsen through um, perimenopause and menopause, but also women can get the hormonal effects which are similar to IBS. So there are two separate things. Diagnose IBS, there are certain set criteria you've got to fulfill. And when you, um, either when you're having a hormonal effect on your gut or you suffer from IBS and that's worsening, um, there are various self-care things that are really important to do. Even think simple things like drinking enough water, reducing alcohol and caffeine, getting enough sleep, reducing your stress. So once you've looked at the self-care methods and you've looked in your diet particularly for triggers that may affect you so keeping a food diary is a really important thing and keeping a symptom diary I always say to people for a couple of weeks try and do that and see if you can work out what it is that's causing your problem and then you're looking potentially at medications to help and there are medications which are advised for IBS so you're looking at mebeverin or something like that you can go and talk to your GP which helps to try and relieve pain Um, There are medications that you can take if nothing else has helped your constipation. I was reading that lactulose is not as good for constipation as other products might be. Interestingly, we always direct people to the FODMAP diet. But this particular information that I was reading suggested that the FODMAP diet should be supervised by a a gastroenterology dietitian um, because it's a very difficult diet to follow. Extremely exclusive. So just making sure that you're getting all the right information. So going to see your GP if symptoms are really bad, um, particularly if you're losing weight, if the abdominal pain is severe, if you've got any blood in your stool, if you're bloating. Lots of people tend to try and put their symptoms down to something common. And usually it is that, but there are the other cases that aren't. So it's really important to know where the red flag diagnoses are. So unexplained weight loss, bleeding from the bottom, bloating, those sorts of things. Why might that be happening? Why isn't it getting better? I've tried all the self-help things. This hasn't worked. Now's the time to go and get it checked out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, again, just this reminder and 
you know, almost we, we kind of need this permission sometimes, don't we, to make that doctor's appointment if we've not been someone who ever really has needed to in the past. So it's full permission to do so. Yeah. Yes, it's really important for people to feel confident to speak to a, a healthcare professional um, that they trust and that they feel they will be listened to. So um, I hear lots of different stories um, with people's experiences of what's happened to them. Um, and I think it's just really important to try and find someone in the practice that you are able to um, talk with more easily. But it, it doesn't come easily for everybody because people work part time. Um, it may be difficult to make an appointment with that particular doctor. Um, so sometimes asking the receptionist, uh, how do I get hold of this person? What's the best way? Is it an e-consult? Is it an email? Should, can I pre-book? Uh, what can, how can I do that to, to speak to this person? And often what we'll do is find that actually people come to see us as GPs for months before they actually tell us what's wrong. I can see why as well, because again, we don't particularly know ourselves. They want to develop trust. And yeah, that trust factor there if we're opening up about how we're feeling. Yeah, it is it's vastly interesting. I think, you know, you must deal with a lot, especially being in general practice, but it's really, you know, this beautiful space that you're in where we know that within the, the GP and the medical education that you don't actually have menopause education as part of that as a core Whereas you're stepping out and up, aren't you, and, and doing this in your own time? Yes, I've just become really interested in it. And because I lead the women health and family planning at my practice, and since the Davina show, I've been dealing with so much more. And there's a huge need for education. Um, there's a lot to learn. Um, and, and, and I do believe that this is best dealt with by someone who really understands it. And in general practice, it's it's an incredible career. It really is. But we deal with everything. So cardiovascular health, uh, diabetes, there is an immense amount to know. And I think training definitely needs to improve with menopause. We all have to do hours of training each year and have an appraisal. So it's important that we are able to learn about everything that interests us. But as a practice or an area, at least, we need to start developing services that women uh, are able to visit so they can talk at length because hormones are complicated. Even if we're looking at prescribing the combined contraceptive pill, for example, um, at the beginning of my career, if someone had come to see me because they didn't get on well with their pill, I would have just chosen another pill at random, thinking, well, okay, well, maybe this one will work. But actually, if we look at the combined contraceptive pill, there are many different progestogens that we can choose. There are many pills that have estrogen dominance or progesterone dominance. So what we've got to really work out with is what exactly is this woman suffering with and how do I choose the best pill next? not just this next name of pill that I quite like to off, which is what I think a lot of people would do. If you don't understand in detail all of this, it's very easy to make a mistake. There's a lot of education that needs to be done. And I think I'm hoping things will change in the future, but certainly we need GPs and menopause specialists that are able to deal with this problem because it's not a simple thing. Completely Hearing everything you're saying, we are living in a world now where we expect more, and quite rightly so. 
we're allowed to expect more. We're allowed to be in charge of our own bodies and our health and happiness and no longer having to just say, well, oh yeah, it's just the menopause. I'm just going to have to accept it. You know, we were chatting before we went live on here where we're saying, you know, this for me is around helping women to really, and this is where this podcast came from, helping women to be exposed to just a slight little nugget of information that helps them say, well, actually, no, I want to feel vibrant again. I want to feel myself again. I've kind of lost who she is for a long time. And to think that actually we sometimes just need that little bit of expert knowledge or someone to say, could this be menopause? Could we support you in any way? So what you're doing is phenomenal. And I just want to take this opportunity whilst we're at this point in the podcast episodes to say a thank Thank you. you. The same for you. It's not just a medication thing, is it? So I think that's what's really important is that I am a supporter of HRT in people who want it because I know that it works symptomatically and I know it has health benefit and I take it and I know how much better I feel on it. So the evidence is definitely there. But what I really, really feel is important is that every woman has all the knowledge they need in order to make the right decision for them. Because it seems such a tragedy for a woman to go 10, 15, 20 years down the line and not know that they could have had this and it really could have been life changing. If it's not for them, there are many other things that we can do. But whether it's hormone treatment or non-hormone treatment or um, whatever you choose to do, the lifestyle measures and the support that um, menopause coaches are giving are just more important than whatever your choice is regarding your medication because one does not exclude the other. It's got to be a holistic care and some people will need much more support than others. They'll have many more troubles with their mental health. Um, They'll have many more troubles with their cognition. Um, They will have made life decisions like giving up work because they just generally feel they can't stand in front of a room and present when they can't remember the words that they need to say next or they're having a terrible hot flush, or they haven't slept for months, they feel terrible, they're so anxious, they just can't function. Um, and and yet you get the other lady who has no symptoms whatsoever, or feels that she has no symptoms whatsoever, but just doesn't maybe understand what other rarer type of things that we may just become more aware of that are related to menopause could be happening to her. Um, so we're also individual and lots of women need lots of support and some women need less support. The key thing in all of that is every woman having access to that knowledge so it's available if they want it. Yeah. That's the part we're lacking. That's the yeah. part that, you know, I, I explain this as being we're in a world right now and not just, you know, we're both based in the UK, but this is worldwide that we've got this menopause black hole of available factual information it's, you know, it's not a great area. It's worse than that. It's a, it's a black hole and it's not good enough. This is where, you know, having more across social media platforms where it's free and it's so quickly available. But again, it's understanding some of that information is not evidence-based or factual. Some of that information is quite damaging in some of the way that it's presented or terminology that's used. I was speaking with a lady earlier today who had worked with someone quite influential in the menopause space and they have got a really damaged food relationship on the back of that time 
because of the way that it was kind of, you know, you shouldn't be eating this, you shouldn't be drinking that. We've got to be very mindful and very careful on how we have that support available. Yes, I had a very interesting, not particularly to me, but there was a post on LinkedIn uh, from a lady in America saying, has anyone got any good information about the menopause? So I sent her as much information as I could because it's, it is, you're right, trying to find a trusted source that's presenting evidence-based information to you so that you can decide what is right for you and your body. And that's all you can do is, and then once you've got all the information, particularly if you're looking at the brain, it, it doesn't help you if someone says, oh, you know, verbal memory loss comes with menopause, don't worry about it. Um, because you, you will much more easily be reassured, reassured if you understand why things are happening. So it, the reason that I'm losing my memory is because the estrogen level is reducing and I'm losing my glutamate transmitter. Um, and, and actually, if I take HRT, I will be able to top up my hormone levels a little and that will get better. So A, now I understand why it's happening at the cell basis. And B, I, I know what I can do. Understand and make a decision, an informed decision. It's that empowerment, isn't it? The key words that come to my mind just as you're speaking there is empowerment and liberation and being able to really own that and make your own choice and decision. It's a funny one, actually, because I was speaking with my granny on the phone. <laughs> I popped a little quote up on my Instagram the other day about this. And we're going for tea and scones tomorrow so we can chat about it and put the world <laughs> to rights. But this was something oh, she'd lovely. said on, on the phone. She'd said, you know, I wished I'd had a menopause coach when I was going through it because it was awful. The mood swings were terrible, you know, just losing who I was. And she just said, you know, if I'd had someone to help me with that, it may have been a complete different world for her. And it's sad. God, that's fascinating because it's women didn't speak about it, did they then? No, my mum never spoke to me. I no. mean, this is not a, a negative remark against my mum. My mum's in her no. early 60s now and like it just wasn't spoken about. Her mum never spoke to her about it. She never actually spoke to me about it. I... Before I got involved in this space in menopause care, I very much just thought that menopause was something that happened when you were in your 60s and 70s. It kind of caught me up at 36 and I thought, wow, <laughs> this was unexpected. You weren't expecting. Yeah, I, I was to say my mum never spoke to me. And I do remember going back from university with a bunch of flowers for her and gave her the flowers and she just burst into tears. <laughs> and I was going, mum, what is wrong with you? <laughs> And she didn't say anything then either. <laughs> I remember thinking it's a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, right. Whereas now, I can only speak for our household, but my twin 11-year-olds, they'll nearly be 12, they're growing up understanding that what the menopause is. They actually educated their teacher and their class around it when they were talking about hormones with starting periods. You know, the the teacher had mentioned about estrogen and had mentioned about testosterone and Clara and Shannon had said, oh yeah, my mum takes that. This is helpful, right? That we can just bring the conversation in as normal conversation. It's, this is, yes, it's, it's normal. It's natural. Every single female. So a hundred percent of the female population will experience a form of menopause, some quite severe, others not so much. And this is yeah. one thing that one of the students in the menopause support coach certification has quite rightly highlighted. 
When we talk about it being 100% of all of the females, approximately 51% of the world's population at the moment, it's all females, all nationalities, all religions, and we don't necessarily experience it the same way. It's very different within different cultures. It's, you know, very much a, we have to look at the, the, the differences within how we can then support women. Yes. And I think education is the way forward. So understanding what's happening to your body and then deciding what you'd like to do about it. A hundred percent. I love that. So powerful, right? Imagine a world where we were just empowered with this information freely available to make an informed decision. GPs also feeling supported, feeling knowledgeable, because it cannot be fun for a GP that is outside of the world of women's health and understanding to have a patient returning to them. I think the average is about nine patient returns before a resolution is put in place was one of the stats that I'd heard. One thing about general practice is the ability to say you don't know is okay but you have to be able to direct that person to somebody who can help. If you do want to find any more information on what Caris does within her space, you can absolutely find her on pretty much most of the social media platforms across Instagram, across LinkedIn and across TikTok. So we will make sure that the access to those are popped into the show notes. You just need to go into there and click on them to access her site. It's been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal having you join us today. So thank Thank you you so so much much for talking with me. No, it's been wonderful. You're amazing. As are you. Thank you for gifting your life currency to us. And if there has been anything in here that you've listened to, please do let us know. You can message myself, you can message Karis, you can ask questions if there's anything that comes up that you want some more information on. I am more than happy to navigate that with you. So just drop me a line. You can find my details in the show notes as well. Karis, it's been special. Thank you so much for being here. Hopefully there has just been a little bit of light shone upon this area of general practice within the NHS care. Thank you very much. Thank you. I truly hope this episode has sparked something vibrant inside of you. I ask only one thing, to help keep these episodes coming, please subscribe and share with another in your life. That's how we reach more women worldwide and we help them step into their power. Because together we are working to remove any of the stigma and taboo that surrounds menopause. This does not need to be a daunting, a scary, a taboo time in anyone's life. So together, let's make menopause mainstream.